Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, we are continuing in our series on the book of Daniel, and our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, is back with a message on confession. This week, we are skipping ahead to chapter 9 of Daniel. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and open there to follow along with this message. If you're interested, we have additional resources on this message, like a discussion guide that you can use to review this message alone or in a group, and you can find that on our website. Also, if you missed a week or just want to catch up with our past messages, you can find that on our website as well. Visit brookwoodchurch.org for all of that and more, or you can use our handy Brookwood Church app, which is available for iOS and Android. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ today. Can you discern the Lord's presence? That's a question. Somebody had a tambourine. I was about to get. (laughs) That's right. I need one of those. That's right. We return again to our series, Living in a Foreign Land. Daniel, who is now likely 81, early 80s at least, has lived as an exile in Babylon since his teens. He was probably no more than 15, perhaps 16, when he was taken captive in Israel and carried into Babylon as a prisoner. He became a leader, obviously, in the nation, but he was still there against his will as an exile. And we've looked at Daniel in this series to discover how to live in a culture that's not our own. In America, how do we live in a culture that's growing ever more resistant and at least indifferent, if not antagonistic, toward our faith, our values, and our morals? The theme verse, if you'll take out your message guide, We're dealing with Daniel chapter 9, the the verse that I selected, partial verse that I selected as a theme verse for today is, I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, pleading with the Lord my God. Daniel knew the reason for the exile. Daniel knew that the Jewish people were separated from God by their sin. So he confessed this rebellion. Then he asked for forgiveness, but also for restoration and a return to Israel. We begin in chapter nine of Daniel and at verse one. In the message that I've called confession today, it was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede. This is 538 BC. Now Darius was the son of Ashuaharis, who became king of the Babylonians. Now Darius became king, not Ashuaharis. Maybe a little confusing as you read that. 
But Darius, while he was the king of Babylon, was not the king of Persia. He was actually appointed the king over Babylon by the king of Persia, whose name was Cyrus, not the one that invented the cotton gin. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, learned from reading the word of the Lord. Now, I want to stop there. When you see in your Bibles, Lord, in all capitals, but they're smaller capitals, what does that mean? Say it louder. Yahweh. That's the personal name of God. Now, we're unsure what the vowels are. Because Hebrews wrote in only consonants, no values at all, vowels at all. So the vowels that have been put with Y-H-W-H to come up with the word Yahweh is actually, are actually the vowels from the word Adonai, which is Lord. So it's near that, it's close to that, but it refers to God's personal name. Now this is the only time in this book, Daniel refers to God by this personal name. And he does it in this chapter seven times. Why? Because in this chapter, he is dealing with and emphasizing God's covenant relationship with his people who knew him personally, who knew him intimately. And Daniel continues. I learned from reading the word of the Lord as revealed in Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate. Synonyms are destruction, it's um, ruin. For 70 years. That's from Jeremiah 25, 11, and 12, also from Jeremiah 29, 10. Now, Daniel is reading Jeremiah, and he realizes that this 70 years of desolation is almost over because the Jews were first taken captives over 67 years earlier. So it's within two to three years of being 70 years because they were first taken captive in 605 BC. So we continue in verse three. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. This is a Hebrew expression for humility, for sorrow, for mourning for people's sins. I wonder if any of you received ashes on Ash Wednesday. Yeah, let me see a hand if you did. We have many that, that had, you know, grew up in the Catholic Church and some still participate in some of those um, masses or those worship services. But Catholics, you see, are reflecting this Hebrew expression of humility. Now, the, the Catholic expression of placing ashes on the forehead on Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday, also includes the idea of ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Our lives are limited. We will die. So we mourn from our sin in preparation for facing the God, for facing God. 
Daniel prayed for God to restore Jerusalem, to return the exiles to their homeland. When you feel separated from, well, let me say this first. Does anybody ever feel separated from God? Hands, I want hands. Now y'all got an extra hour of sleep because all of y'all came to this service. So I don't want any slow movement now. I got up at five and there's only one thing in my life that I really do well. You know what that is? My greatest talent, sleep. That's my most profound talent. And I didn't get to practice it this morning. But does anybody, has anybody ever felt separated from God? Let me see your hands now. Okay. So what do you do? When you feel separated from God, what do you do? You pray, but specifically, what do you do in that prayer? You cry for help. That's a good start. Ask for forgiveness. That's a good start. That reflects what Daniel did here. When we feel separated from God, sometimes some of us, not y'all over here, but them over there, some of us complain. Where are you hiding? Where have you been? I need you. When it may be that we should begin by saying, God, reveal my rebellion. God, display my disobedience so that I can confess anything that might be separating me from you so that I can be restored. And it may be only a demanding spirit that God always answers quickly when you pray. From Daniel, we can learn how to pray to God so that he hears and responds. I've pulled out just several essentials of prayer that I find in the passage. You might find some different ones. First is adoration for God. Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Oh Lord, you're a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. Daniel's prayer began with praise. Praise for the character of God who faithfully kept his covenantal promises to bless and to love his, his own who loved and demonstrated that love through obedience. Now God, I've told y'all before in covenant, there's God made a one-sided commitment. He made a one-sided commitment to begin a relationship. But after the relationship began, God expected some participation. Does that make sense? And there is a connection between love and obedience. If we say we love someone and we are careless about their feelings, we are not displaying love. If we say we love God and disobey his commandments, we're not displaying love. Because when we love someone, you see, it causes us to, to be sensitive toward what they feel. When we love someone, 
we desire to delight them, to please them, to accommodate them, to at least get along with them. Daniel's prayer reflected his relationship with God, how he viewed God, what he appreciated about his Lord. When we pray, do we praise God's character or do we merely make requests that often sound more like demands? Okay, imagine the last time you prayed. Hopefully it was not long ago. What did your prayer reveal about your relationship with God? Did it show some awareness of who he is? Some appreciation of what he's done? What did it reveal about the level of your intimacy with him? Because your prayers will diagnose your relationship with God. It's just like this. Our relationships with any person consist of communication. If someone listens to your communication, they will know the nature of the relationship and the depth of the relationship. Isn't that true? Another essential of prayer is the admission of sin. Verse five. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. See, Daniel confessed that he and the people, he's used the word we, the pronoun, had sinned greatly. He included himself in that by breaking God's law. But there was something else they did that offended God, that displayed sin. What, what was it in those verses? Say it. I heard that, but I don't know about that one. Right here, right in these verses, they did two things. They sinned and broke his commands and they rejected who? Not rejected God. Y'all, it's printed right here. <laughs> who said the prophets? I think you might be the only person who can read. But listen, y'all, y'all love to spiritualize stuff, don't you? It's just printed right there. That's all I want. They rejected who? The prophets. My goodness, what a hard question I'm asking. They ignored the warnings from God to draw them back. See it? It's double-sided. Not only did they sin, but when God in his love sent someone to retrieve them, they rejected them. Twofold. Verse seven. Lord, you're in the right. But as you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us. 
including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all of Israel. Judah is the southern part of the nation of, of Israel, the land of Israel, and Jerusalem was located in Judah. The northern part is considered Israel. Samaria was in between. Scattered, including all the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all of Israel, scattered near and far, that's the exile, wherever you have driven us, who drove, who drove them out? Y'all, are you sure about that? Because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Now notice what's saying here. He's saying some pretty harsh things about God, right? You exiled us. You scattered us. You judged us. You dispersed us. But he said, but that's not your nature. He comes back and he says, but your nature is to be merciful and forgiving. So when we're disappointed in God, where do we stop? With accusations, with anger, with disappointment, with demands? Or do we still know the nature of God, the character of God? Daniel didn't offer excuses. Daniel didn't assert his ignorance or the people's. Daniel didn't declare that the covenant was too demanding. He admitted the, the shameful disobedience of God's people. See, the, the Jews had been chosen to be God's people. They weren't a nation. Abraham was worshiping idols. Abraham wasn't a Jew. I mean, the word Jew didn't even, wasn't even used until it was referred to after Judah, one of the 12 sons. But the Jews were chosen and they were loved by God and they were blessed by God and they were given a land that he provided them. They didn't have a homeland. They weren't a people. He called them to be a people. He gave them a name. He adopted them as his own. They became his treasured possession and he gave them a place to live. Why do you think that all this battle in the Near East is about the place God gave. Because if the Jews can be eradicated completely, it disputes God's word. So the Jews had been blessed in so many ways, but they rebelled. And because of their rebellion, he scattered them, which caused their shame. Shame arises when someone who has done something so wonderfully for us is betrayed by us and we feel the shame. So when we sin, do we make excuses? Excuses sound like this. Well, we're only human First off, if you're a believer, are you only human? And does that give any excuse? If you're a believer, you're born again by the Spirit of God. You are not merely human or only human. And so we need to, we need to stop using that as an excuse. We're supernatural people. 
We're not merely human people. And do we resist when God sends someone to steer us back? See, God does love us and he'll send somebody to you. It might be in a message. It could be in a small group. could be just a spiritual friend that cares enough about you to bring you back. But how do you respond to them? When someone confronts you about an issue and tries to lead you back, do you just grow angry? Do you resent? Do you reject? Because that's exactly what the Jews were doing. Every prophet was sent to bring the people back to God. Another addition, an additional essential of prayer is to accept responsibility for discipline. Verse 11. All Israel has disobeyed your instruction and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly as you warned. Never has there been such a disaster as happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we've refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins, by recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things for we did not obey him. Daniel declared that Israel violated God's covenant. And he said to God, and you were right to punish us. You ever said that to God? You are right to punish us. And he punished them by destroying Jerusalem, by exiling his people. See, if Israel had obeyed the covenant, God would have blessed them. But because they rebelled, God was bound to discipline. Can you see that? See, we think, oh, if God loves us, he just won't do anything to us. Mm -mm. God is bound to discipline us by love. Every good parent blesses and bestows gifts and also disciplines to bestow correction. And if you aren't doing both, you aren't parenting because you express love as much in the discipline, perhaps more in the discipline than in the gift giving. You know what? Because if you love them, the discipline's harder. Brooks is two years old and he has a little bear seat where he has to sit in the corner. It's painful. It's very painful. He's a sweet kid. My mother would have never tried to put me in a corner on a stool. It would have been a waste of time. She might have whacked me with the stool, but that's, a, that's humor. That's humor. But See, if God is faithful, if God is just, then he's just to discipline as much as he is to bless. Perhaps worse than the sins that brought God's punishment or God's discipline 
was the fact that when they were taken captive, you know what they did? They complained and they asked God to destroy Babylon. They asked God to punish those who had taken them captive. They didn't repent over the fact that they were the cause of their own discipline. Now you gotta, you, you gotta wrap your head around that one. When we encounter difficulty, first off, who's the source of your difficulty if you belong to God? We think, oh, it's my boss. My boss is bad. Oh, my parent is bad. Oh, someone's bad. My neighbor is bad. Oh, someone's bad. But if you belong to God, whatever reaches you passes through who? Be careful saying that. Whatever reaches you passes through him first. You believe that? So these, these Jews have been captured, they've been hauled off and they're mad and they say, God, smite these Babylonians. When they should have been saying, God, what are you trying to teach me? James 1, count it all joy when you suffer various trials. Do we do that? When we're suffering, do we say, God, what is it you're trying to show me? How are you refining my faith through this process, painful as it is? Daniel knew that God wasn't through with Israel and that God's discipline proved his love for his people. If you fail to discipline, you're failing to love. Some of us are so codependent on our kids that we can't do anything to, to, to them that might cause them to reject us. That's about us. That's not even about them. If we love them, we are objective enough to do whatever it takes to shape the character and life of our children, even if they get mad. I mean, how many of us are afraid that our children will get mad and so our hands are tied and we cannot discipline? That isn't love. Now, I'm not talking about cruel discipline. I'm talking about discipline motivated by love for this child. Does that make sense? Hebrews 12, five and six, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Then Daniel reminds God of all of his past mercies and he's essentially saying, God, you've invested too much in us to abandon us in Babylon. You can't, God, you cared too much. You've done too many things for us to let these unbelievers ridicule us, make fun of us and you. Verse 15. O oh Lord, our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. 
But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, God, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. See, the neighbors were saying, yeah, these people so much loved by God. Look how they treat God. Their God's not real. If he was real, it would make a difference in their lives. So they mocked the Jews and they mocked their God. When God convicts us of sin, that's separating us from him. Do we offer excuses? Do we blame others? Or do we accept responsibility? And how about this one? Have you ever thanked God for your discipline? How about it? Have you ever thanked God for your discipline? Another essential of prayer is to ask for assistance. Verse 17. Oh God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. Oh my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. Oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. There's a good prayer for us. For your own sake, do not delay, oh my God. For your people and your city, bear your name. That sounds sounds odd, doesn't it? Because you're essentially saying, God, you have bought me at a very high price. Don't Don't let me waste my life. Rescue me, Lord. For your name, not for mine. See, Daniel asked God for mercy, not for justice. He asked God to mercifully end the exile, to return the people to their homeland, not for their sake, for his sake. It's okay to pray to God that way. God, you have done so much for me. How about doing some more? Don't abandon me even in this mess I've caused for your sake. You say, that doesn't really make any sense. Here's how it makes sense. Don't raise your hand, but anybody have a child that went off the path and you had spent your entire life raising this child. I mean, it is blood, sweat and tears, isn't it? To raise a child. Just the labor, the love, the heartache, feeding, clothing, washing. And then the child, ignoring all of that, of course, walks away. The same statement, you have invested too much to let this child go. That's what God's, that's what Daniel's praying to God. See, God's mercy isn't giving us what we deserve, right? Does anybody in this room want God's mercy? Yes. Do we want God's justice? We do not want any part of God's justice. God's mercy is not giving us what we deserve. 
God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve. None of us want any part of justice. Justice is you get what you earned. From reading Jeremiah, Daniel knew that there was hope for Israel. I'm going to have, use one cross-reference, a very common passage. A lot of y'all have this stitched on your wall and stuff, framed. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. Now, here's the passage. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. How many of you have that as your favorite verse? How many of you have it stitched on something hanging in your house? Does it apply to you? Be careful. What's the context of it? The context of it is he's saying this to exiles in Babylon. Well, then does it, not that one, but the previous one, does this apply to me? Indirectly, not directly. The context is it's the, it's the promise to Israel in exile. It applies to us as people who are loved by God as his children, as Israel was loved by God. But that's how it applies. It's not written first to us. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. And I will bring you home again to your land. I'd like y'all to, if you don't know it already, memorize Jeremiah 29, 11, instead of the second Chronicles passage there. That's a good short one. Some in my small group get to complaining if it's too long. Y'all could do that one, can't you? That's a short one. Daniel pleaded the character of God in his prayer for mercy. And that's what we should pray. We can't really pray, I deserve to be treated this way. But we can pray, you, God, are merciful. You are gracious. I'm not deserving, so honor your own name and do this for your own sake. The very next year, Persian King Cyrus issued a decree allowing the Jewish people to return back to Judea. And they were led by who? Who led them back? Somebody said it, Ezra. Ezra, and then later Nehemiah. They went back to rebuild the temple and to restore worship. And the last crucial essential of prayer is to anticipate God's answer. God will answer your prayers, but I'm not saying that it's always easy to discern. It takes some practice. Stay at it, stay at it. Daniel 20, Daniel 9 verse 20. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Again, affirming God's character. Pleading with the Lord, my God, for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. 
as I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, that's chapter 8, which I'm not covering, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. And now I am here to tell you what it was. For you are very precious to God. I don't know whether God will tell you which car to buy, which house to buy, what sex the grandchild will be. Ours is a boy after all of us thought he was a girl, the new one. But I know this. I believe this. God will tell you what you mean to him. Because the thing that we're missing most in our lives is understanding our identities. And a lot of our behaviors are following a flawed identity that's based on a lie about ourselves. And we need to know who we are and we only can get that from God. And then he continued, listen carefully so that you can understand the meaning of your vision. Now, I'm going to cover this rapidly. This is about end time stuff. And so stay awake just a few more minutes and I'll let you go. But there's a lot of complexity in the end times information. And there's a lot of debate about it. There's not only, um, you know, one important difference is, are the, are the numbers that are mentioned, are they actual numbers, literal numbers, or are they symbolic numbers? Another discussion is what are the specific historical events that are being referred to? And it can be quite confusing. And it's not fair to say, well, anybody that believes the Bible believes this one view. There's four different biblical views. I have a commentary on Revelation that interprets every passage from four different views. So we want to understand what's the theme here? What's the message? And what, what might it mean for us? In verse 24, a period of 70 sets of sevens. Now that can mean 490 years, although there's some debate about how long was the Jewish year, which would um, affect when these dates would have taken place. But there's also an argument that these are perfect numbers because this is 10 times a perfect number times a perfect number. So God had a set time for these things to occur. So this period of 70 sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish their rebellion, to put an end to their sin, to atone for their guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision and to anoint the most holy place, which would be the temple. But it can also be interpreted the most holy one. So it can be a reference to Jesus' arrival or it can be a reference to or anointing the temple, reinstituting the temple. In verse 25, we continue. Now listen and understand Seven sets of seven, 49 years, plus 62 sets of seven, 483 years, 
will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, Hebrew is Messiah. So it is a reference to Jesus comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. After this period of 62 sets of seven, 134 years, the anointed one, Jesus, will be killed. 33 AD, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. You know who that was? That was Roman Emperor Titus in 70 AD. And again, the city is destroyed. God sent this Roman general because of the people's rejection of the Messiah. 70 AD was the end of the Jewish sacrificial system. This next section refers to the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness. You can read in 2 Thessalonians about him. But he's compared to a Greek ruler. So sometimes there's two fulfillments of a prophecy. There was a Greek ruler named Antiochus. So it's a reference to him, but also to the Antichrist who would come later. So we look at 26. The latter part of 26. The end will come with a flood. And war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. The ruler, the Antichrist, will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half the time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. This is the great tribulation, Revelation 7. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds... He will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. But a lot of your translations, and the Hebrew literally says abomination of desolation. Until the fate decreed for his defiler is finally poured out on him, which is the destruction of the Antichrist. Just a, just a little bit of information. Because I know some of you are really bookworms and you get this. And some of you are saying, gosh, please give us a break and let us go. Hang on, I'm about to let you go. The abomination of desolation already occurred in 167 BC. Antiochus went into the temple, erected a statue of Zeus, made it a place to worship Zeus, and he sacrificed a pig, an unclean animal, on the altar. So he desecrated the temple. At the end times, the Antichrist will establish peace with Israel and then break it and he will force worship of another statue, an abomination, Revelation 13. And it will begin the worst persecution, the great tribulation. But the tribulation, the time of suffering precedes the time of the triumphant return of Christ. So what should we do? In light of this passage, which is all very confusing, what should we be doing? Try to figure out what, what every verse means? I don't think so. I think we should stop living like this world and this life is permanent. We should begin to pray like Daniel, praising God, confessing sin, and then asking God to fulfill his promise to send his son. 
But if you want his son to arrive, then you need to be very serious in the interim time of trying to reach people who don't know Christ and help them as you help yourself to prepare for his return. Counselors will be here at the front. Counselors, you come on up. If you want someone to pray with you, if you feel like God wants you to confess, they'll be here, they'll be confidential. They'll pray with you. They'll talk to you about faith. They'll anoint you with oil for healing as well. Father, we thank you for your word. And sometimes we have difficulty comprehending all the details. But Lord, help us cling to that which is clear and help us to be a people who confess our sins and who desire for you to send your son. In whose name we pray, amen. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with other Christians, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our past messages on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.